happened since we were with you last week. The violence in Charlottesville reminds us the symbols of what we call the South continue to carry real and destructive meaning. We've been invested at this podcast in emptying out that history, pulling it apart, examining it, and trying to explain how it's not productive for a season and a half now. A year of our lives, essentially, and hopefully many more. I wanted to say today that if you're still questioning whether or not the Confederacy has some redeemable qualities, or if you are still equating the Confederacy with the South, or if you think that things like the Confederate flag, like those statues, are value-neutral items, then I'm going to save you some time. This isn't the podcast for you. But if you're questioning things, if you want to think about the South differently, then by all means, stick around. This also isn't the most elegant intro for this week's episode, because we have a pretty fun episode this week. I, along with Kelly Vines and new co-producer Ajoa Danso and friend of About South Shannon Fink, traveled to Ridgeland, Mississippi to see Golden Girls Mystery Dinner Theater, which is a tribute to the show put on by Mississippi Murder Mysteries and the Fringe Theater Group. But it's also about why theater and community activity matters now more than ever. It's also about all of the exclusionary politics that lead us to say things like, Florida's not really the South, or is Oklahoma the South, or is Virginia the South? These are really strange questions to me because they deflect from other larger pressing issues. There are, as John Smith pointed out last week, a thousand different reasons to be proud to be from the state of Alabama. None of those reasons have to do with the Confederacy. There are reasons to be proud to be from Mississippi. And I think our group this week is one of those. They devote their free time away from their jobs and families to create a space for community, for people to come and enjoy themselves and sit with each other and laugh and reflect on what's good and to think about the world with empowered women. So this is a bit of a rant to start this week's episode. And I want to say, I'm only speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for members of the Fringe Theater Group. I'm speaking for me. And I say, if you're interested in thinking about a better South, then stick around. I'm Gina Kaysen, and this is About South. First of all, like, how did we get here? I know that somehow a 
that Joe and Kelly have talked me into this. You asked me if I had any ideas for the show, and I was like, well, I've been watching a lot of Golden Girls and Blanche's from the South. And then and I, I think Kelly had, like, heard about this thing. Not this thing. I heard about a thing that was in Pennsylvania. Oh, my God. I'm so glad we're not going to Pennsylvania. <laughs> and then I was like, maybe there are others. And so I started searching around but about But why... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that I love both 
how does the Golden Girl song go? Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart yeah, is true. You're a pal and a confidant. And if you threw a party, invited everyone you knew, you would see the biggest gift would be from me. And the card attached would say, thank you for being a friend. Today, the About South team drove six hours west, Kelly, she was confused about what direction we were headed, um, to Mississippi. We are outside of Jackson, Mississippi in Ridgeland, Mississippi, and we just saw their Murder is Golden show. It was fantastic, and now the cast is eating their hard-earned dinner and has agreed to talk to us which we really appreciate. Um, we are very excited to be here. Um, three of the four of us are avid Golden Girls fans. I know virtually nothing about the Golden Girls. Um, I've learned a lot today. It's been a real immersive experience. And now we're here watching you eat dinner, which isn't weird at all, <laughs> and recording you. How did you tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself, and how you became attached to this theater troupe in this particular production? Okay, it's uh, Dan, Daniel Hawthorne. Um, two first names. Yeah, two first names. Um, <laughs> I, play, uh, I play Lieutenant Kovac, um, and uh, I'm actually a social media, new media specialist for a local community college. I'm Walt Harrington. I am. I, I play the uh, the bad guy, which actually is that's the best part to play. But uh, I'm a retired actuary. I'm Tommy Kobeck, and I play Dorothy, <coughs> and I work for Bass Pro Shops. I'm Jessica Wright. I play Rose, and I actually run a small daycare out of my house, so I keep little ones. I am Becky Martin and I play Blanche and I am a community relations representative for a local insurance company. My name is Samantha Gregory and I play Sophia and I actually am over all the parts and accessories for a motorcycle shop. <laughs> as far as Golden Girls, personally, I grew up watching the Golden Girls with my mother. That was something that we did every, it was a weekly thing. And my mother and I, in the mid to late 80s, we would, we would just sit down and that was our thing to do as mother and daughter. And I didn't know that it, you know, I didn't know it was risque or had controversial topics. Um, you know, it was the first program to address gay marriage. It was the first program to um, talk about AIDS. So when I was younger, those things did not, it just didn't occur to me. It, I watched it because of the women. Um, it was the first sitcom, in my opinion, to portray older actresses as having value. I come from a family with eight sisters, so I grew up around women who became strong women. 
and I was never much interested in the Golden Girls, of course, early on, but when I started to do this and I started to watch the show, I was binge watching the show so I could learn about the character, and I developed a great respect for them. They were not only funny, but they touched on timely topics, and the way that they handled them was pretty enlightening to me. And Sam, you're the youngest member, and I guess like Estelle Getty, you play the oldest, the oldest Sophia. Um, how, what, is, what is your perspective being a younger person with this material? With the Golden Girls in general, like I really do appreciate the characters. They are very, in their own way, very strong female leads. So I do think that's a pretty cool aspect because even now you don't see a lot of shows that have, especially an all, mainly an all-woman cast, that all of them are strong. Becky, have you always wanted to play Blanche? I always loved Rose, but as I did my research whenever I, I wrote the script, um, I really, I always admired Blanche because the character of Blanche is, I think I have a line in there where it says, um, she may be a tramp, but she has a heart of gold. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of how you, I sum up Blanche, but she was a very strong woman. She was not afraid to be herself. She had, she had no qualms about who she was. And I think that that comes with being a certain age. Um, finally, when you get in your 50s, not that I would know about that, <laughs> you, uh, you kind of uh, find a way to be comfortable with yourself. And it's not so much um, of an act that you have to do for other folks, um, you know, other people who see you. It's, she was not afraid to be herself. And she was not afraid of her sexuality. Um, and a lot wow. of people, they put, they put sexuality as a form of being youthful. And she was the first character that I ever saw who uh, made it okay to be a sexual being in your 50s and older. And Jessica, as Rose, did you know that that was who you wanted to play? I actually asked for this role. She did. Uh, oh. She uh, she texted me and she was like, so I'm thinking about doing a Golden Girls. It's like, oh, please, 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 let me be Rose. Like, <laughs> I have a kind of a thing with this troupe as I play a lot of the ditzy characters because I love it. I mean, it kind of fits me. She's I won't lie, shop. I'm the ditzy character <laughs> in this group. But um, I begged for this role. I wanted to be Rose so bad because, again, I'm such a huge Betty White fan. And then uh, to get to play this was so much fun because her her ditziness is so innocent. Like, it, there's just everything about it is just pure. And so she doesn't know that everything that comes out of her mouth is just silly. That That's just who she is. And I love it so much. She's such an honest character. And... Sam, did you watch a lot with, of Sophia, or did you know that that was who you wanted to play? Well, I never asked for a role. Becky kind of just called me up and said, hey, we're doing Golden Girls, you're Sophia. And I went, I'm 20-something. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know she's old, right? But okay. Um, and it was just one of those, Becky wrote it, and she knew immediately, because I'm usually the one with the mouth that has no problem. And that when she wrote Sophia, it's true. just how Sophia is as a character, no filter. None. 
She didn't care, and it was just as easy to give it to me and make me learn an accent. So I did a lot of binge watching when I started, mm-hmm. when I got the script, to kind of get Estelle Getty's mannerisms and stuff like that down, because she did have some of her own quirks, just because who she was as an actor. And there's so much, I mean, like your little shuffle walk is so perfect, especially works in this space because everyone's sitting and eating dinner and then they have to wait for you to like walk out. <laughs> Which, well, and as soon as I leave. Yeah. <laughs> like no one touched their food until I shuffle out of this room right now. And I have to have my diva moments. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Why, hello, Lieutenant. <laughs> I'm Blanche DeVoe. Gonna write this down. It's D E V E A U X. Oh, and you'll need my number. It is 555 Um, So, there is a lot of highly sexual content. I tried to watch the audience as much as I was watching you guys, and I feel like, I mean, <laughs> it is it, it is Ridgeland, Mississippi, and people can be a little uptight about sexuality and issues, and same in Atlanta, but like, do you have those reactions to the content? Daniel, I feel like. Yeah, I haven't said anything yet, so I'm gonna. Yeah, take this question, <laughs> go for it. Um. This is my first time doing a show show like this, whereas, you know, there's a lot of hidden jokes and you kind of, it's like a hit or miss kind of thing if you're paying attention. Because a lot of times, you know, during these murder mysteries, everybody's taking down notes and they're watching and they're afraid to laugh because they're afraid they're going to miss something. But, you know, it, it really depends. I've, um, there's been a lot of crowds where people have just laughed at everything, inappropriate or not. And it's funny because I see a lot of times the characters you know, they'll encourage it, keep it coming because we want to hear that laughter. We want to hear, and it's like, wow, you know, they're human. You know, it's like kind of watching the Golden Girls episode in live happening. Um, so that's kind of what makes it fun, especially in this type of atmosphere when you're so close and you can reach out and touch them. I think they're old enough to understand, you know, that it's it's theater. It's like watching a television show and they, they kind of know what they're getting into when it says Golden Girls. You know, if they're fans, they, they know what to expect. In small cities like Jackson, why is theater and the theater that connects with people, why is this important? This community theater in a space, you know, Jackson, it's a big, it's largest city in Mississippi, but it's a medium-sized city. All of you, I think, Becky had said a lot of you have jobs tomorrow. This is a a second life, or maybe your, what you wish was your first life, but oh, yeah. why Why does this matter, to especially to places like Jackson, Mississippi, to have these opportunities to see this, or theater in general? Well, you see so many theaters closing anymore, especially community theaters or anything for the general mm-hmm. public to be able to go and see and experience something that's not in their world. Um, so that is, I do think that's why we have a good following um, and very loyal guests that come back and see us mm-hmm. because we're able to, even if it's just for a couple of hours, take them out of whatever's going on in their life and you 
like I said, you do just have so many theaters, like not even just in Mississippi, but nationwide, community theaters that close down because mm -hmm. the arts are getting defunded. It's live theater, you know. It takes people away from their devices, away from TV, brings it into a group, communal group, and we can experience something together. And I really think here, especially in, in the way that we do it here, is on stage productions, you know, you sit in an audience and you, you kind of just sit back and watch, but here we thoroughly encourage you to participate, you know, play back with us, talk to us, you know, we'll come to your table and talk to you, and, and we love when our, when our guests want to play back, and so I think even if we sit in with people they don't know, they've made new friends, and it's such a just immersive experience yeah, that they just get to be a part of it. And I agree with Jessica just the interaction and the side comments sometimes the side comments <laughs> and the Way comments that the people make in the audience <laughs> are more script. funny than the lines i'm just saying <laughs> and i think people crave that these days as mm -hmm. we're having tv and movies and movie stars just shoved down our throat every single day people crave interaction mm -hmm. they crave to go do something where they're seen they're heard you know they have that they just crave that interaction with other people and we're able to give that to mm -hmm. them just for a little while and speaking as an actor too i appreciate breaking the fourth wall you know it's fun interacting with the group acting around you know getting their response as well as giving them ours i want to know what like the fanatics favorite episodes are we discussed a couple of our favorites on the way and we decided um the one with alvin and sophia and then also the sunshine girl and rose was like definitely like top 10 best episodes this this per whole script came about because I saw an episode, I think it was the Libertine Bell. It was a murder mystery that the Golden Girls went to a resort to watch and it ended up where Blanche, you know, was accused of being the murderer. So I thought, oh, that would be so much fun to just do a murder mystery with the Golden Girls. So that's how all of that came about because of that particular episode with the supper club in a resort and Blanche being accused of murder. So so that that's probably mine. That's the inspiration. One of my favorite episodes is when um, Dorothy was supposed to have surgery. I don't know if y'all remember, she had surgery mm -hmm. on her foot. Or her leg, I can't remember exactly, but she kept sneaking out of the hospital yep. because she was scared she was going to die. And I remember one scene where she was she snuck by Sophia's window, and <laughs> Sophia comes running out. And she's like, "There's a man!" I just remember that scene because it tickled me so bad. But that's definitely one of my favorites. Is when she snuck out of that hospital. Like she was, it just showed that even at that age, you can still totally be scared of doctors. And then your mom calls you a man, which is funny. <laughs> yeah, I remember one episode. I think they went on a cruise and they bought condoms. To go on the oh, cruise. Yeah. I heard about this episode today. And Rose yeah, used yeah. all of hers because she used them as water balloons. <laughs> <laughs> I also heard that they had to do a price check at the grocery store yeah. for this yeah, And at one point, Dorothy yells, Condoms, Rose! Condoms, condoms, condoms! <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be the title of this episode. Condoms, condoms, condoms. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any like episodes. It's mainly just like these one-liners that they just throw out that you that stick with you. And especially now that it's syndicated and they're on every single night. And every time 
Every time I watch a show, there's something. Oh, yep. This we did that. Like, <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. and it's like you you can't never get tired of it. You know, mm-hmm. it's on like two hours. It's, it's on for like an hour on like Hallmark Channel or something at ten o'clock. Here, Lieutenant. Take this mirror I use on Ma when I can't tell she's sleeping or not. We are back from Mississippi, and we are sitting around my kitchen table eating cheesecake and drinking iced coffee. Do the Golden Girls, what do they drink? Coffee. But not iced. Not iced. Okay, so what did y'all think, since I don't know anything, I still don't know anything about the Golden Girls, and it's clear I'm never going to know anything about the Golden Girls, what did those of you who are not more knowledgeable think of the show i thought it was great from like start to finish the murder mystery episode is the second episode i put on when you decided to go to sleep when we got back to the hotel i'm sorry um and i was wrong the dorothy outfit was exactly what the detective was wearing who came to respond to the murder in the episode but I really loved the like little jokes that they made that were from the show. That was definitely the best part for me. So it totally passed like all of your satisfaction. Yeah. Golden Girls needs. Yeah. Especially Blanche. Yeah. Kelly? Yeah. I think Blanche and Dorothy, the the folks who are playing those two characters, were particularly on point. They were able to faithfully reproduce the mannerisms of of Rue McClanahan and um, B. Arthur from the show in a way that was really satisfying. I really liked the audience recognition of the jokes. Um, as someone who, you know, hasn't seen a lot of these episodes in a long time, like, it was interesting to see the audience like recognized the jokes and laugh at them because they were familiar and you know as they were coming in rapid succession it's cool to watch i was so worried that the audience was gonna get like hung up on how sexy the show was there were a lot of sex jokes and i did i know they said no one has ever thought it was like too sexy the cast was like no like our audiences come for the sexy jokes but I know I saw an older woman when they made the 69 joke go, woo. Like, her eyes got big. Like I think I made that face also. I made that face because then I, I was slightly great. scandalized. I was scandalized. <laughs> it's not every day you're in a restaurant in Jackson, Mississippi, and, like, a man in drag and another woman, like, make 69 jokes. Like, it just doesn't happen to me every day. I was compelled by everything Becky said about why the Golden Girls was important and why community theater is important. I just found Becky incredibly compelling in almost every single way. That she is someone who is doing something for community that is fun and enjoyable and politically progressive without somehow, she's managing to do something that's politically progressive without engaging in a heated political discussion. She's just doing it. 
And the more I've been thinking about that since we've been back, the more I'm just, like, really compelled by that. Like, a place where it's just fact that these are women who are talking about their sexuality, who are powerful and strong and together, and she convinces all of these people to come out and support the arts and that message without really... It's so political without seeming political. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that's probably the aspect of the show that you can see most in the community theater, too, in the, in the production that we saw, right? And that's why I think it's still compelling. You know, we're, what, 20 years out from when it first aired at this point? I think that's one of the things that keeps people coming back to the Golden Girls. When we started this idea of this Golden Girls episode, um, I mean, the name of the podcast is about South, and I totally enjoy driving to Mississippi with you guys, even when the air conditioner went out. I'm still interested in what makes this fit onto our podcast. I mean, granted, like, in two weeks, we're going to the Minnesota State Fair, but why is this an episode? Clearly, oh. I didn't choose this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to eat my cheesecake while y'all tell me why this is an episode of About South. Well, I think in preparation, Shannon researched yes, all research. of the demographic information on Florida so she can tell us about why, why Florida is important. There are some camps of people who think Florida is not the South. I and so hate these discussions. Camps of people who think that Florida is definitely the South. In fact, like while I was, you know, looking up some information that might be relevant or might not be, um, I thought to just type into a Google search is Florida the South. And um, well, interestingly enough, the two top results, one is from Alabama Living. <laughs> and the question is answered, here are 10 reasons it absolutely is the South. Okay. So you have an uncontestably southern state saying, yes, we claim Florida as ours. And then the second result from the Miami New Times says 19 maps that prove South Florida is not really the South. Oh, God. See, so. can I just stop, though, and say, <laughs> let me explain why when people have these discussions, it drives me insane. Because, like, obviously... If we think it's a geography, like a physical geography, then it is. And if we think it's a cultural geography, like maybe it isn't, but that presumes that what we call the South is either a physical geography or a cultural geography. And it's really neither. And we can go back and forth all day about what place is and what place isn't, but it's the same exclusionary politics that tell black people they're not of the South, that tell native people they aren't of the South. and. All the time we spend arguing if something is or isn't the South is like 4,000 words wasted on solving an actual problem in the freaking South. I'm really interested in your search though. <laughs> it's a weird search. <laughs> because I just think like this conversation, like people put more energy into this than they put into like healthcare in rural Georgia sometimes, I feel like, or rural Florida. So, but I mean, if we look at these, like, I mean, just looking at these websites, the first thing on this, Florida is definitely not the South, is an infographic that suggests that Florida is not the South because 
they prefer McMuffins over biscuits. Uh-huh. It says, number one, we are a McMuffin state. <laughs> and so it's all things like weird things like that. Um, Why does Alabama want to claim it so badly? Alabama wants to claim it because of a different set of regional stereotypes. Oh, okay. Like yeah, the, of the number three point on that website is you might find people wearing coonskin caps. What the? You haven't seen anyone wearing a coonskin cap? I have never seen anyone anywhere wearing a coonskin cap. <laughs> I've seen no like either. seven-year-olds at like theme parks, Tweetsie Railroad, <laughs> 1985. Like beyond cartoons. Well, and I think there's a, there's been a perception for a long time that because of having a larger immigrant and transplant population, that Florida is much different, but it doesn't have a much larger immigrant or transplant population, according to the US Census. There are twice as many people in Florida, so there are twice as many. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? Groups of different kinds of people. Also, I mean, that would presume that the South is one kind of thing and that these people don't fit into it, that transplants and immigrant populations don't fit into the South, which is crazy. One thing that I do think this argument about Florida not being the South has going for it is the idea that Florida is a no place. When I was um, when I was in high school, my first job was cleaning swimming pools, which is such a Florida job, right? Um, and most of the swimming pools that I was cleaning were attached to houses where no one lived for five to eight months of the year. Whole empty neighborhoods of like what people call snowbirds who are only there, you know, to ride out the winters in a warm place. Um, but that's not not Southern culture. It's just, it's, a, it's an empty, it's a place empty of people and culture altogether, right? Empty houses and swimming pools. There are two narratives of Florida, right? There's the one that says South Florida is not really South because there was no money to develop South Florida and drain the Everglades and do massive construction until the influx of Northern capital, right? That really no one in the South had the money or inclination to contribute to the infrastructural development of South Florida until I think around the 1950s. Hollywood, Florida kind of developed um, it's sort of local lore is like a mafia town that like that money came to South Florida and so that it's not really southern because it was a lot of people migrating from New York and New Jersey mm-hmm. they contributed to the infrastructure or vacationing so it's just like a playground not a place where people live right but there were people in South Florida before this right or there's the narrative that to goes to Shannon's point that's really anti-immigrant that says that like South Florida is not like the South because of Cuban immigration mm-hmm. or Haitian immigration um, or other sort of circum-Caribbean migration. And that, that one seems especially problematic because it's then as if U.S. Southerners act as if they aren't North of other plantation Souths, right? Like, like we're the South, like South of what? Like, you're north of, like, so many other things. And so, I guess I find, like, it's not as if either of those historical narratives are wrong, but they also don't necessarily tell us anything either. The Golden Girls really are, like, a Florida migration story, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Dorothy's from 
Pennsylvania. Sophia's... By way of Brooklyn. Well, is it... Which way does it go? New York by way of Philadelphia or something Oh, Philadelphia. Like okay. Or New York by way of Pennsylvania. Okay. Embodying that mafia <clears throat> thing. Right. That, like, <laughs> northern... Like, Sophia is very much so the retired New Yorker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Rose from Minnesota. Then Blanche, who is the southerner on the show, but is ironically, even though she's, like, constantly saying she's southern... She's actually from a north of South Florida, where she is currently. So it's like she's claiming a southern identity when she's actually further south than the latitude that's important to her. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's also, I mean, it's a Florida, like, the Golden Girls is a Florida story. And it is southern in that it is a a Florida story. That's our show this week. We'd like to thank Becky and everyone at Mississippi Murder Mysteries and the Fringe Dinner Theater. Walt, Tommy, Becky, Jessica, Sam, and Dan were amazing hosts, and the waitstaff at Bayaji's was wonderful for letting us record there. Everything about it was a great time, and if you find yourself in Jackson, please check them out. This week's episode was produced by Kelly Vines and Ajoa Danso. Lindsay Baker keeps us social. Our regular music is by Brian Horton. This week's music is from various renditions of the Golden Girls theme song with an especial thank you to the artist A1 for his remix from After School Special. You can find About South wherever you get your podcast. We're also at aboutsouthpodcast.com and you can be friends with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Next week, we're back in New Orleans with Jenny Lightways Golf talking about the history of the city, urban planning, and why it matters that those damn statues come down and what we need to do to replace them. Until then, thank you for being our friend.